Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello and welcome to episode two of Keepers of the Flame, a classic metal podcast where we discuss new albums, old albums, anything that stems from the classic heavy metal sound of the 70s and 80s. And we will discuss some freeform topics that relate to the heavy metal scene in general. Um, I'm Darren Wall, my co-host Rev Taylor. Hey, hey. Hey, what you drinking, Darren? I have right here a uh, locally made in Seattle um, smoked Hellas Lager. It's from Holy Mountain Brewing. Um, they're up in like Ballard area and they're just one of the, I think they might be the best brewery in Seattle. They just do everything right. And for me, kind of like the benchmark of a brewery, if they can make a good German style lager, then they've got my attention. So nice. free plug for Holy Mountain. <laughs> so this week on the show, we uh, are going to do a deep dive into the new Witch Hazel album, which should be a lot of fun. We have our picks of the week. Uh, we're going to have a topic about what makes something metal and what can, makes it accepted by the heavy metal scene towards the end. But first, we need to follow up on something we talked about last week. Because today, we weren't even going to talk about this at all this week. We, we were done with it. But a couple hours ago, Mr. John Schaefer from Meister Earth was arrested for his part in the storming of the Capitol building in Washington on January 6th. And... You know, we talked last week about how we thought this was going to be a big problem for him, how it was a huge mistake, uh, politics aside, just for his personal life, for his music career. And I think we were just proven right, my friend. Yeah, I mean, something comes to mind about stupid games and stupid prizes. Yes. You know, uh, yeah, apparently he was uh, one of a group of people who was accused of uh, attacking the cops with bear spray, so... Yeah, well, that's interesting. Which makes it even worse. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, this, this shit just keeps getting worse the more we hear about it. And yeah, you talk about super prizes. Well, this guy won the pony when it comes to super <laughs> stupid prizes. He, wow. I mean, if he's, I was reading about it before that came out when he, because we should also be clear, he turned himself in. Like, you know, he, he wasn't dragged out of his house kicking and screaming and yelling you know, Trump 2024 or anything like that, that would have been better. But, you know, we got to be, we got to set the record straight. We got to tell the truth. As funny as that would be, he did turn himself in. So good on him. You know, he, he is there to man up and face his consequences, I bet, I, I guess. But the one thing I read is if, if violence is in play with this charge, I mean, he, if he was just charged with, you know, breaking and entering, unlawful entry, vandalism, that's a fine, maybe a little bit of jail time. But attacking a cop with bear spray can carry up to 10 years in prison. Federal time. Yeah, dude. And, you know, I don't see, I don't think the label's going to keep the band. Um, I don't think Ponzi is going to be in a band with them. I mean, what are they going to do live from prison? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Live from cell block D. I don't know. Yeah. So. Folsom prison blues. Yeah. So that happened. And so, you know, we just wanted to follow up. I mean, what do you think, man? What do you think is going? Where do you think he's going to go from here? Well, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm no expert on the the legal system, but um, yeah, I mean, 
he likes Americana and, and uh, you know, uh, old timey music, I guess. It's his other project. So, you know, plenty of the blues in jail. So, <laughs> you know, hopefully someone yeah. can, can smuggle him a guitar or something. So he uh, can fiddle or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like I said, like when you're, when you have an artistic project that means something to a certain number of people, you've been working on it for a long time. It, it seems wise to, to really take that into account with your actions in the rest of your life. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I do really feel for the other members of the band, you know, regardless of what their views were, they didn't necessarily put their stamp of approval on, on John Schaefer's decisions. And then they have to pay the price. And that does seem kind of unfair. Yep. Cause like I said, I don't, I, I'm, if I'm century media, I'm, I'm dropping that band tomorrow. You know, if I'm Ponzi, I'm, I'm either quitting or I'm kicking them out of Demons and Wizards, whatever. I mean, Demons and Wizards will just be done, I guess. But, you know, anyway, um, so that was John Schaefer. Dude, it's only January, but you might have won the Heavy Metal Darwin Award for 2021. <laughs> you are an early leading candidate. I'm not sure I can see anybody else doing something that stupid this year. I kind of hope they don't. I mean, I hope so too, but it's, you know, it's a long year and, um, <laughs> you know, rock and roll. <laughs> yes, sir. I do. And the craziness isn't over yet. Um, so I guess, you know, moving on from that, you know, we don't need to give, you know, we don't need to give QAnon Colonel Sanders any more time than he you know, <laughs> needs. Um, we can get on to much more pleasant, um, pleasant subjects. Um, why don't you let the people know what we're going to be talking about first? Yeah, I mean, well, it is a more pleasant subject. We're going to talk about uh, Witch Hazel's album Three Pentecost, um, which is, to my ears at least, a very pleasant album. Um, this is a, a an album with a very particular flavor, a very particular kind of production, and uh, it, it's kind of got its own voice, uh, which is why I think it made a bit of a splash last year and why we're talking about it tonight. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, so a little bit about the band for people, if you're listening and you don't really know, uh, which Hazel has been around since as a band. Um, I, I think they changed their name. It used to be called Jerusalem or something to that effect. Um, but they were, they've been around since 2011. Um, they're from Lancaster, England. Um, they put this album out on Bad Omen Records. Um, yeah. And, and I, I really, I'll be, I'll be straight, man. I love this album. I was, I'm, I really, really like it. Uh, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. Yeah, it's, it's, I think the main thing for me, it's taken a little while to get into it. I do really like it now, but uh, it, it did take a while. Yes. In fact, I, I remember like a couple months ago when the album had come out, I listened to the first few tracks and I and texted you and was kind of like, what's the big deal? Because <laughs> um, yeah. at the time I just, it didn't, it did not click with me at first. Um, and part of that's that the stuff that really grabbed my attention on this album is all in the second half. Yeah, I, I, um, and I totally agree. I mean, it, when I when I was playing it, when we you know I, when I when I was playing it for the first time, you know, and trying to and getting a getting into the record, um, I listened to the first three four songs and I'm like, this is cool, like, I, I'm enjoying this. Then right at the midpoint of the album, it, it really got me. Um, there was there, the 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 dynamics picked up, um, the songwriting got a lot more interesting, and the the mid part of this album, all, like pretty much to the end, really got its hooks in me. And yeah. I really liked it. Um, overall sound, this is a very, to me, this is a very British sounding album. Um, yeah, I think that's true. If I'm thinking of like the influences I hear, like there's a good amount of Iron Maiden. 
a good amount of Thin Lizzy, Led Zeppelin, and then that cl- kind of classic stuff. And then here's some Blue Oyster Cult. But then it, you kind of get into like the Wishbone Ash, Jethro Tull, was, Uriah Heat uh, territory. Yeah, I was definitely going to mention, mention Wishbone Ash in part because um, the uh, Witch Hazel's previous album, Sojourn, or Two Sojourn, is uh, the cover definitely seems like almost an homage to that um, Wishbone Ash album cover for Argus. Oh, I think yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, it's got the the kind of like figure with a cloak and a helmet and uh and the, that second witch hazel album has a similar kind of look to it a similar color palette it also has like a mounted rider with a medieval helmet and and kind of evokes that classic album cover um and then yeah some of the sonic components are definitely similar too yeah yeah i mean you know also these guys this is their third album i guess um i guess what's three <laughs> it's pretty obvious the third one i think they, they put out an ep as well um i haven't listened to that one yet and they have a couple splits out there um, with some other, some other bands, you know, as a lot of bands do. So they've been pretty busy over the last, you know, nine years. But you can tell they clearly take their time writing. And, you know, I think they're a band that really likes to conceptualize an album and what it's going to be about and um, how they're going to put it together. It seems like a, it sounds to me like a lot of thought went into these songs. Oh, definitely. It's it's very carefully put together. And even like on the, some of the tracks are fairly simple in terms of the, the songwriting style. But even with those, there's a lot of craftsmanship that goes into, uh, you know, both the playing and the, the writing, the playing, and especially the recording. I mean, this is this album, the production is definitely miles above what this band had done before. Oh, yeah. And I was about to mention that. Um, that was the first thing when I was thinking about things I want to talk about was the production. Um, I think it really hits that sweet spot between being kind of real, real, for lack of a better term, raw, but it's still, um, it still does sound a little bit modern. It's not a retro sounding record um, in a bad way. Um, it, it, all the, the separation of the instruments is really clear. This, and it's really yeah. a fine line to strike when you're mixing, it's well mixed. It's really a fine line to strike when you're mixing a record between you know having a unified sound and yet having all the instruments separated enough that they come through clearly and you can hear the bass, you can hear, you know, the tom drums, you can hear the cymbals and whoever mixed this record did a fantastic job. Um, it's great production. Um, this, this band's secret weapon to me is their drummer. I mm, think he's mm. fantastic. Um, he really kind of, some of the fills he does, um, some of the, he's really slick. Um, his symbol work is great um, and it's very tasteful. It's even a little bit mathematical at times. Um, yeah, I mean, the rhythm section really shines in those transitions, you know, between chorus and verse or kind of between two parts of the chorus. The, the fills are really tight and and the drummer and the bassist are really locked in. And it's just like, even in, in, you know, some of those early tracks that are quite simple, the more you listen to it, the more those little transitions are just mm, really satisfying. Oh, totally, man. Totally. And... I really liked that the songwriting, um, it wasn't like crazy diverse, but the songs are varied. They're varied in like, you know, pace. They're varied in like kind of, you know, it's, it's not one of those records where you listen to it and you're like, these guys are just doing the same song over and over again. Like, no, it's not. Although again, the first three or four tracks are a little bit more typical the way they're put together. So for me listening to it, like I definitely, you know, I wanted more colors out of the because they have a little bit of keyboards they're playing with in the first couple tracks but it's not so overt um and then in that third track then you finally the organ really kicks in 
uh, mm-hmm. in the track I Am Redeemed. And um, and that, that, that that's a standout track for me. But even after that, after the next track, I was like, man, I, I want to hear some kind of different colors. And then right when I was thinking that, the album delivered exactly that because uh, track five, Dry Bones, is a real different animal, different feel from the earlier songs. Um, there's a little bit more of an adventurous songwriting, an adventurous singing. That was the track that got me too. Um, that was mm-hmm. the one... When that one hit me, I was like, whoa, there's something going on here. It's got that John Bonham feel to the drums. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like that. I call it like, it's it's not lazy at all because it's actually a really tough group to play. But it's almost like that lazy Bonham beat where he's a little bit behind the rest of the band, um, which yeah. creates a really cool group. It's one of my favorite things. Um, and there's a falsetto in the middle of the song that's perfect. It's like, yeah. it comes out of nowhere. Um, and... I'm not the biggest fan of falsettos. Don't take offense. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> so you do, but I'm just, it's not my thing. Like I think if you played a, and you know, like if you, especially these days, if you played a, if you went on the new wave of traditional heavy metal YouTube channel and you played a drinking game, every time someone opened a song with a falsetto screen, you'd be in the ER with alcohol poisoning. Oh, you'd die. And about four albums. <laughs> so it's just, but this one, it comes, it, I think it's like at the end of a, of a line or at the end of a verse. Yeah, it's at the end of the, uh, it's at the end of the chorus. Mm. Dry bones will rise, you know. Yeah, um, and it's, and it's it repeats. It. There's, there's three of them. There's, there's yeah. three at the end of each chorus and there's one on the bridge as well. And the one yeah, on the bridge is the one I'm referring to. The one that yeah. that's the one that I really like. Because I didn't, I didn't expect it. And then it hit and it's so musical. It's, it, it's in key, which is yeah. something when people sing, I mean, you're really good with that too, but like when a lot of singers sing go falsetto, they don't pay attention to what note it is and whether it matches the note that they should be singing. Um, so yeah, I was that was really cool. This that's the song where I started to go, okay, we got something yeah, going me, on here. Me was, too, yeah. And that falsetto is it's it's interesting because the the vocals are pretty subtle, pretty um, they're they're effective, but they're not. They don't really reach out and grab you necessarily. It's it's kind of that lower, um, low key kind of seventies vocals where it's a little bit more in the background and he's singing a little lower in his voice. Um, but when yeah, when he went up there, it, it it's not a huge sound. It's not a big thick sound. No. Nor is it a, a grittier or or especially aggressive sound. But it was precise. Um, the pitch was was perfect and uh it was phrased nicely and it served the main function of the falsetto which is to kind of heighten the drama of the musical situation right which is right for for me like as someone who likes more adventurous songwriting and uh a little bit more uh, extreme emotion than i was getting from the earlier tracks that was just what it was the shot in the arm that i needed listening sure. to the album came when i heard that first falsetto on i agree and like my first listen i was driving in my truck and I was head- actually, actually on the job, I was heading to a job site and I was driving and, you know, I was listening to this and, you know, like, like I said, that this song came on and this is when I started actually paying attention. Like I was yeah. kind of like, yeah, this is cool, but it's just kind of in the background, you know, whatever I'm, I'm liking it. But yeah, this song came on and I was like, Oh boy, like that's, that's really good. <laughs> like this is really, really good. And then right after it, the, the Sonata comes in, which is basically a string arrangement. It's like, yeah, a little, a little, instrumental kind of thing but very tastefully done awesome yeah um, really well played and came at the right time i think i read somewhere that it's the uh 
singer's father who plays cello on that record. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, going back to the singer too, um, like you said, he's not like a, you know, a virtuosic singer. He's not like a Halford or Dickinson or a Jeff Tate or anything like that. Um, he's not going to do anything that's going to really blow your mind to me, uh, like technique-wise. Um, but he writes great hooks. And oh, yeah. he know he knows how to craft a melody. And that for me is like, like we talked about, we kind of talked about that with the Iron Savior singer last week. That to me is more important when it comes to an album is if the singer can you of course he needs to sing in key price like this is too many that don't that, but you know he knows how to use his voice and write to make a melody and that really contributes on this record to a lot of the different dynamics yeah yeah i mean it's it's there's something to be said for knowing your limits and sticking within them while kind of stretching in subtle ways uh and that that seems to be what he's doing because i can hear on various tracks where like he's in a subtle way kind of going a little bit higher or adding a little bit more drama a little bit more grit here and there but it's always in a very subtle tasteful way um which makes me think that he's making wise decisions decisions as a vocalist and he's probably going to continue to get better album mm -hmm. after album um because he's not destroying his voice you know sometimes that happens like the worst thing is someone's trying to be a halford and they're not <laughs> yeah fair. <laughs> that's that's interesting that's cool like i yeah, as a singer, you have that perspective. I don't, I, that, that's interesting. That's cool to hear. Um, so after the Sonata comes my favorite song on the record, which is I Will Not. This song, I love this song. It, it came right after that. And I think because it came after the mellow string interlude, it just kind of hits harder. So, yep. you know, that shows you where like, putting that little instrumental there was so effective because this came in and this song, the riff is awesome. Um, the hook is huge. Like it's so, it's such an earworm you know, to me, like it was just after the, after I stopped listening to the record, this is the one that was like stuck in my head. Um, it's and, catchy. Yeah. And, and the drummer at the beginning, he, he does that, what I call the you know, like double time on the hi-hat, like it's the disco beat. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. Like and I love that beat. I love, I, I, I'll like any song that has that in it pretty much, including disco songs. But from, that was the, that, that one with Dry Bones and the instrumental got me interested. This one got me. I was like, as soon as I heard this, I'm like, I'm buying this album on vinyl. I think I uh, I read somewhere that Colin Hendra, the the songwriter, lead singer, guitarist, um, originally played or did a stint as the second guitarist for Angel Witch, oh. and that that the song I will not was at least some of that material was originally written with Angel Witch in mind. I don't know if that's true, but yeah, I mean, I can now that you said that, I mean, I can kind of hear it. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a wonderful song, dude. And it's one of those riffs that I listen to. I'm like, I'm mad that I didn't write that. Yeah. That's a fantastic riff. It's so catchy. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's a single or not. I don't know if it's a video, but it should be a single. It should be a music video. I hope it becomes one because it's one of the better, like, songs I've heard in a long time from any band. Like, it's just, I like it that much. I don't know. I'm just going to you got to jump in or I'm just going to keep talking about how great it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I, it's funny to mention that because I, I have had a positive reaction to it for sure, but I haven't actually listened as carefully to that one as some of the others, but I definitely like, it's right at the, it's, it has the right spot on the album with the, with the instrumental lead up to it. Uh, and then it's kind of the, the, the epic of the album, I think is the next track. And that's yes. another standout for me. Um, Reap the Harvest. Awesome. Um, yeah. So it's good. 
that's it's kind of the highlight of the album for me um starts with and it, it, it's got a cool uh kind of classical music connection because it starts with um the cello again playing um the famous melody from chopin's piano sonata number two it's called the funeral march usually dun, 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 dun. um and then uh, kicks there's this piano melody that comes in uh you get a couple like verses and choruses in this kind of lugubrious darker style and then um then there's this big kind of bridge that comes out with that death is coming death mm -hmm. is coming it goes down to just voice and piano and then builds up to some of the like biggest moments on the album uh before the piano and and then uh it goes into kind of a guitar mini version of that chopin melody yeah. um at the end and which is a very cool way to, to like bridge it all wrap it all up and bridge it together yeah exactly it's just a, it's a really well put together um i think that that song's gonna be huge live oh yeah dude. Can, yeah i mean even if they play the cello thing through the pa on a backing track it'll it'll be awesome i'm with you like that's that, that this is if, if i have a number two favorite song on this album it's this one it's this is just such a good tune it that's where i got the beat the blue oyster called vibes kind of yeah. was on this song i thought they were pretty strong i love the the piano section there's lots of it's a it's a it's a it's a ride this song they take you lots of different places there's lots of ups lots of downs and lots of like left turns it's it's really cool and um it just really has a cool atmosphere to the whole thing so i'm with you this is a one this yeah, is an absolute masterpiece of the song oh it's great it, and it got me thinking about the um that that famous melody that you hear a lot and i didn't actually remember initially where it was from um, I'm not a pianist, so I don't know Chopin that well, even though I really like his music. So I actually did some research on it. It's, it's got an interesting history. Um, that piano sonata apparently was written kind of as a memorial kind of uh, for the Polish uprising of 1830. There's this kind of attempted revolution mm -hmm. in Poland and Lithuania in, in the 1830s and tens of thousands of people died. So apparently this is what Chopin had in mind when he wrote that. Um, and then it kind of since has become part of pop culture in part because it was used by the military when they were performing executions. Um, so apparently in, in the U S army, it was like in the army regulations. If you're going to execute like a traitor, you're going to play him this, make him listen to this <laughs> funeral march. Yeah. Uh, and they stopped doing that eventually. But the initial way I heard it was, I don't know if anyone would remember, but on the old Apple computers, there was uh this these like fake computer voices you could get to read your, mm, your yeah. um, <laughs> and, and there was one that like when you'd go to test it it would play this wow that's so, weird. <laughs> anyway, a little history of the, the Chopin funeral march there, which um, Witch Hazel uses, but very tastefully incorporates into their song and makes it their own, which I think is great. Yeah, agree. thanks, man. That was really cool. Uh, I had no idea. Um, and of course, yeah, everyone knows that song, but I had no idea where it came from. Um, that's awesome. And yeah, they use it really well. It sets the tone and it's, it's an iconic melody that everyone knows. So it's, it, I think it was a wise move. Um, just kick it off like that. And next up is The Crown. And I look, I love this song too. Um, it's got like that kind of really 
a cool acoustic part in the beginning. Um, and it really just, to me, it sounds like some kind of like battle hymn. Um, yeah. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was a really cool tune as well. It was definitely another one of my favorites. Um, didn't hit me as hard as the previous two, but considering how much I liked the previous two, the fact that this song came after and I'm still into it is a testament to how good of a song it actually is. Well, and it does add to the variety of the album. It still fits with everything, but it's got some really different colors because it's the kind of one true acoustic piece on the album. Um, and they're using, I forget what it's called, but the, it's kind of a long-necked folk string instrument, I think, is what they're, they're playing in the intro there. Yeah, um, yeah. I, know, I, know I forget what, what that's called, but, but I really like the sound of it. Um, and it does kind of give it that more folkish kind of medieval feel to it. Um, the, the last track, I don't know, it's, it's not one of the standouts for me. No, um, it's a decent closer, um, but it, 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 it wasn't, it didn't, it, yeah, it, it, it wasn't a standout track. And I don't know, maybe uh, The Crown, maybe there's a story to it. I don't know. There's a reason it's in that order. Again, I'm not, I didn't write the record, so I don't know. But uh, The Crown would have been a stronger closer to the record, I think. It's, I thought so too. Um, I mean, and the last track is is one of those that gets a little bit more into sounding like praise music. Just a little a bit. bit. Ancient of Days is what it's called. Um, yeah. It's, it, yeah. I don't know. It, but it, it, it's still good. It's still good. Just, um, I mean, I guess the elephant in the in the room here in terms of like my experience of the album is just that it's, it is a, a very Christian album. Uh, the, the lyrics and... Um, the message of it and not to go into my own personal weird conflicted relationship about Christianity. I, I'm not against it necessarily, but I do feel like I'm a little bit allergic to certain kinds of mainstream Christianity or things that kind of evoke it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I had that, it was a bit of an impediment in the beginning for me getting into the album, even though I, I've always said like, if there's Christian music that's really good, I'm, I'll listen to it. Yeah. And some of it's really, I, as a classical singer, I performed Bach and Palestrina and some of the greatest church music ever written. And I love that stuff. So when it's genuine and when it's really good, it's really good. But it, it, it was a little tough because the first couple tracks have a little, like they would not necessarily be totally out of place in, in Christian radio, especially like the bridge of that first track, the we serve a mighty king bit, you know. And uh, I think I think just over time, I've just, I get a little suspicious. I have a suspicious reaction when I start hearing about Jesus and music, unfortunately. But I think in in this case, um, it's coming from a from a genuine place. Yeah, I agree. And you know, you know me. I'm a. I mean, I'm probably like blissfully ignorant to a lot of those things. You know, I won't hear um, unless uh, unless it's like you know Striper, and they're like you know soldiers under god's command or whatever. Right, right. like because you have to be that's like hitting you over the head with the bible you have to be like a bit of adult to not figure out that that's christian rock i guess maybe i'm just i'm a very i'm I, like i said I'm, I'm not a guy who has a problem with any specific religion based on what it is um, what it is um i'm very secular um i'm a cash and carry science guy like i'm not <laughs> really spiritual at all that's just me um so I guess it didn't really even register in my brain. I've never been to church a day in my life. I never read the Bible. Like my family is not religious for like at all. So I guess I was kind of a bit ignorant to it, but I understand. And I, I don't like, you know, religious music of any kind, be it Satanism, Christianity, 
um, you know, David Koresh or whatever. Um, if it's preachy, I don't want to hear it, you right. know, straight up. Like if you're, if you're, if it's like anything that's telling me I got to do this or, you know, whatever, I'm not into it, but this seemed more like storytelling um, than anything, you know, it just kind of was like, I, I understand that it has Christian themes, but it was more like, kind of like just telling stories than really being preachy. So I didn't have a problem with it at all. Yeah, and I, I did some reading and, and um, the, Colin Hendra was quoted as saying that um, he thinks music is a universal grace, meaning it's, you know, there for everybody. He also said the music that to him best expresses the glory of God is Black Sabbath. So, um I guess so that shows that there's, there's, you know, an open mind at work there. And he said, he's not trying to be striper and like serve a missionary purpose. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's good. I mean, I, I'm, like I said, I'm okay with, I'm okay with it. You know, it, it doesn't, I, like I said, I don't, it doesn't seem like he's uh stripering it up. So right. it, 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 and again, like when I was listening to it, I mean, you, you have more experience with that than I do. So probably, hit you differently than it hit me because it didn't hit me at all because i'm just right. like I don't, I don't even know what the fuck this guy's talking about yeah no no, no. <laughs> i mean anyway. i so i mean i like the record i mean obviously i like the record so so much i bought the damn thing on vinyl it's right here you know yeah but, and I'm, I'm thinking of doing the same because it's very listenable um you know it's it's the kind of album that would potentially be great to listen to at any time of day or like mm -hmm. various states of mind because it's it's upbeat but it's smooth mm -hmm. um it's kind of laid back but it has some muscle and sinew to it um it's it's very well balanced um so yeah it, and it's interesting with the uh with the christian stuff because there is i think for me at least there's a dynamic tension there as a as a non-believer like listening to christian material i do understand it i've, I've read the bible and and uh you know i really like religion and spirituality in some ways and really have issues with certain religions and other so there's like whole internal drama for me that that kind of happens when i listen to an album like this but, but on that level it, it's still resonant and it's still um i think it really is a personal statement more than trying to uh convert anyone and, I, and that's that kind of makes all the difference and, and you know what like props to them for you know sticking with their guns and singing what they want to sing about in an environment where a lot of people aren't accepting of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like if you, and so the second in, in the heavy metal scene, the second you say, and this kind of like, this brooch is the topic we're going to talk about later. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as you say the word Christian band, um, there's an instant pull away or groan or, Oh God, you know, yeah, pun kind of intended or, Oh shit, here we go. And you know, there's a lot of bands that sing about Satan, you know, like, and so there is that, stigma and i think it's really gutsy these dudes to um you know to go for it and and do it in spite of all of that so you know my hat's off to them i mean that takes that takes some courage so one thing i read is that um track four is called archangel uh, mm -hmm. and it's a it's one of it's it's almost like a to hell with the devil kind of thing bringing yeah. striper into it again <laughs> um, which is what it's one of my that's one of my favorite heavy metal songs i've got to be it's, honest i just love it so i just fun. think it's perfect you know it is um, it, it's well written and it's just like oh man you, you it's, it's one of those songs that comes on and you have to start having a good time yeah absolutely so i think lyrically archangel is kind of along those lines and it, it's saying like you know why should this demon get all the glory the chorus is you know 
why should a demon get all the glory? He was only Archangel at the start of the story. Yep. Um, but I, uh, I was reading about it and apparently that song was written kind of in reaction to the band Ghost. Um, okay. Who does like, you know, sort of satanic praise music a little bit. Man, and, I, just, uh, I can't get into that band no matter how hard I try. Um, I, I respect them, but there's definitely something that kind of holds me back. Like I just, I, I, I've tried, I to... man. I've tried. I saw them live. Um, a guy, a buddy, one of my, my last week in Canada before I moved to the States in 2016. Yeah, 2016. Um, guitar player from my old band took me. He's like, dude, you got to come see this ghost band. I know you don't listen to them or whatever, but just come see them. I, I'll buy you a ticket. I went. Amazing visual show. Um, couldn't remember a song to save my ass that was there, but I was like, you know what? They were good live. I should go check it out. And usually when I see a band and they win me over live, the record will win me over after that. Yeah. Not this case. It's all, it's, it's boring to me. I just don't get it. A lot of people love it though. So. Yeah. I mean, I, who am I I like that many people can't all be wrong. So there's probably something to the music that I just don't doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's well done, but there's just something that's not, it, it doesn't quite feel I mean, maybe because it is all a big production, it doesn't quite feel like emotionally honest to me. And I think that might be why ultimately I'm not into it, even though I do really appreciate it. And I found some of the stagecraft stuff inspiring for some of the stuff I do. Yeah. Um, I like uh, it. It looks badass. There's no question. You know, going up there and kind of like being a weird, evil pope. I mean, that sounds like something I would really like to do on stage. So. I can see you doing that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so apparently, yeah, that song Archangel was was written kind of as a, you know, a friendly rejoinder to Ghost. Because I in the interviews, like I, I think Ghost is is great, the music's great, but it, this is kind of a, a spiritual rebuttal in a way. And and for me personally, I would have to say like score one for the big guy on on in this case because I I would probably rather listen to Witch Hazel than Ghost almost any day of the week. So yeah, I guess I, I agree with you. So. I guess we'll uh, just kind of sum it up, I guess. Um, which Hazel something for me... I wanted to... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to like talk a little bit about some of the details in here um, that, that show how much work kind of went into it. There's just a lot of nice, subtle stuff in there. Even like the, the, the cello melody at the beginning of Sonata is the, mel- the chorus melody from the first track. He is the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a cyclical thing going on a little bit. Um, one thing that's interesting is there's a lot of use of the Picardy third in here. Do you know what that is? No, no idea. So what that is, is when you're, this is something that comes out of medieval church music, which is appropriate for the kind of style and, and uh, content of the mm-hmm. Witch Hazel album. But what that is when you're cruising along in a minor key and then you end it in a major key. And that's by raising the third scale degree to make the, the minor triad into a major triad. And it gives it this sudden infusion of bright quality. Yeah, uh, and okay. the, the reason they did that is, is um, in church music, they felt like the ending wasn't really strong enough or wasn't kind of glorious enough when you end on the minor key. And so they would make that third scale degree sharp and would give it this bright sense at the end of the... Yeah. Um, and, and this is something that Witch Hazel uses on several occasions here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell on, on where it's placed in the text that they're really giving thought to the relationship between the lyrics and the music. So, for example, on the song I Am Redeemed, um, the chorus is, uh, 
Oh, Satan, he has taken control of me. Minor key, me. And then the second part of the chorus is, Oh, I am redeemed. I am a slave made free. Mm, so yep, it, I know what you're talking right about. Right at the end of the chorus. And for the words, the, the first section of the chorus, when he's talking about Satan, control of me, it's minor key. But then when he's talking about he's a slave made free, free is where it turns major. And then the second time it's um, casting his spells on me. And then, oh, I am redeemed only by Calvary. Calvary, of course, being the hill where Jesus is crucified. So then with that image, you get the major chord and it really strengthens the image and that sense of redemption and the major key coming out of the minor key. Uh, so it's, it's, not, it's not an unusual technique for, for painting the emotional context of, of, of a song like this and for like using the mu music to illustrate the lyrics, but it takes thought and it takes care and it's done really well. Uh, and it strengthens the the lyrical message and it makes the music more interesting. And um, I'm really impressed by how that device is used throughout this album. Yeah, I mean, now that I know what that device is, I'm impressed too, because <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about now that you, after explaining it and giving an example. So yeah, um, there is a lot of little cool details in this record. So for me, as a fan of heavy metal and as a guy who writes songs, and pays attention to you know little things like the little the little details we like, we always say like the, ironically in Greyhawk we say the devil's in the details right <laughs> um, you know uh, as as someone who plays in a band where we pay put a lot of attention to those little things like I really appreciated this album on all levels um, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it just for as a guy driving around blasting metal in my vehicle and in my house and on my turntable I loved it. As a musician and a songwriter, I really appreciate the playing, the performances, the production, and the songwriting. So this album, mega thumbs up for me. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Again, it took me a minute because I, uh, at first listen, I thought this is too vanilla for me. But then on second listen, I was like, ooh, this is more like, you know, when you go to the ice cream aisle and they have like the fancy ice cream has like the fancy vanilla. And it's like vanilla, but it's really good vanilla. And then the second, like the third listen through, I'm like finding all these nuts and bits of chocolate in there. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I'd say absolutely recommend mini thumbs up. And, uh, you know, if you have any doubts about it, I would say start halfway through the album um, or check right. out the track Dry Bones. Check out I Will Not. Check out um, uh, Reap the Harvest. Reap the Harvest, thanks. And, and check out I Am Redeemed because that's, that, that's the first one that kind of stood out. It's got some nice organ and uh, admittedly i am a whore for vintage keyboard sounds and i'll i'll like anything even if it's not good if it's using <laughs> that stuff but uh but in this case like it's all the instruments work really well together um and i really like how they're bringing the cello the strings the the various keyboards in too and it makes me look forward to whatever the four album is from them mm -hmm. yeah um, me too i'm excited and i'm excited i hope they get out and can get out and tour whenever this fucking crud goes away. And if you guys want a band to, to tour with boys, give us great hot guys a call. We'll, we'll, we'll hang out with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that, that's uh, the new Witch Hazel album, which I thoroughly enjoy talking about and listening to. Uh, I guess we'll move on now to our personal picks of the weeks from our collection. So 
if you're not familiar with this podcast and you didn't hear episode one, uh, go back and listen to episode one. What are you doing? But um, if you haven't, um, this segment, we pull uh, a piece of music from our collection on any format, tape, CD, uh, vinyl, piano, scroll, eight track, um, whatever you want. Um, and we talk about this is an album we own that we really like um, and we think other people should listen to. So I am going to talk about this album also came out uh, last year, but this is the latest offering from Spell. This is Opulent Decay, and it is um, a fantastic record. Um, these guys are, um, I'll be full disclosure, these guys are personal friends of mine. Um, I've known Cam, uh, their bass player, for many, many years. Uh, we go back to like the mid-2000s when we were both playing in different bands. I was in a band called Entropia. He was in a band called Retrofire. And, we really connected on music and everything and just watch, and watching him and these guys, they formed another band called uh, Striker. It was with a Y though, not the Striker from Edmonton, um, a different Striker. Um, and they did that for a while. It was really kind of like a cauldron, um, goat horn kind of retro metal thing. Um, it was pretty cool. But then they decided to become Spell. And they, when they did that to me, they really started writing some interesting music. Um, and this one, is I think their best one to date. Um, if you haven't heard them, they're very much rooted in like um, 70s um, prog and um, 70s uh, hard rock. They sprinkle in little bits of new wave of British heavy metal, um, like Iron Maiden and some of those other bands. Um, they're really a dynamic band, um, kind of like it evokes like um, some like mystic um, environments. Um, there's a strong Opeth, um, influence on this album, um, Blue Oyster Cult, um, you know, it's kind of like interesting. It's kind of like this, a lot of the same inf influences the Witch Hazel album that I heard, but Spell do it a lot. They take those influences and they do it, um, a lot differently. Um, these guys are fantastic live. Um, they have a really cool stage set up where they're just like lots of candles and incense and hippie shit all over the place. And they really know how to create a, create an atmosphere. Um, I love this album. It was one of the best albums I heard in 2020. Um, and if you don't have this record, um, you should pick it up. Uh, and I got mine on Writing Easy Records. Um, I don't know if they still have any copies left, but this is a great record that if you like this style of metal that we seem to be touching on this week, um, this is a must have. So get Opul Opulent Decay by Spell. They're from Vancouver, BC. Get this album, have it into your collection. You will be happy you did. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that recommendation too. I haven't, I haven't listened to it too many times, probably just two or three times through and I, I don't have it on hard copy, but, uh, but I really enjoyed it. It's, it's right up my alley. Um, as, as I, you know, listeners will hear as they hear the albums I'm bringing in this, this is the kind of thing I really like. Um, complex kind of mysterious song structures, really interesting moody evocative lyrics um yeah i'm looking forward to getting more into this album and i've really I've, i'm facebook friends with cam and i've really appreciated having someone to talk to about some of this obscure prog stuff i'm into you know he's a gem dude he's the one that got me to listen to wishbone ash for the first time oh um, nice yeah i think um there was a couple he just he just like straight up gave me a record and was like here you need you need this and you know what this band is like no he's like you need this in your life and he was right i mean He's just, he's a, he's a wonderful human being and um, all of them are, you know, they're all the guys in Spell are, are really cool. Um, I've had them, I've had them crash here at the house a couple of times when they've been playing shows down here and 
they're just like they're just a really really cool band and a, even better people well um it's it's funny that you brought that album because i brought an album that probably fits very well with it uh this is <laughs> probably the the record that i've listened to the most since it came out it came out in 2014 um, so this is kind of my album of the 2010s, I guess, certainly by Spins alone. It's Pale Communion by Opeth. And anybody who knows me or even has seen a picture of me probably knows that I'm an Opeth fan because 50% uh, of my shirts are Opeth shirts at this point. <laughs> but um, but this is it, Opeth's a band that really has kind of like opened a whole musical world to me because... They were the first extreme metal band I was into, um, and and their kind of frontman um, musical genius guy Michael Ockerfeld is uh, an avid record collector who references all this kind of obscure prog and psych and metal stuff in his lyrics and his song titles and in interviews, and so. Opeth has kind of been at this, the kind of the eye of the musical storm for me because I've gone in so many directions just from like listening to interviews with these guys and kind of tracing down some of these like song title references and stuff they do. Um, this album is the second album uh, they did after dropping the death metal style entirely um, after 2008's Watershed. Um, and it's just a whole different style. It's almost as though the band that made all those progressive death metal albums got kind of transported back in time to the 1970s because it's kind of, it's the same style of songwriting, but it's now been kind of put through this like 70s um, Mellotron kind of uh analog filter to, to kind of make this whole different sound and a lot of people really got turned off by it and i think they you know i've talked to a, a lot of people who just listened to the um the kind of high summer of opet's career which is blackwater park deliverance ghost reveries those albums that came out kind of in the uh early to mid 2000s but anyone who maybe checked that out and wasn't into it or wasn't into heritage the album that came out in 2011 where they changed styles anyone who hasn't checked out this album i think should check it out because it's it's a wonderful record um like the witch hazel it's kind of got its own style um it's a very distinctive kind of flavor to it but it has so many different variations and sounds within that flavor um and for me i've listened to this album so much just because you can i found i can put it on at any time it's it's because it's got a lot of forward motion, it's got drive, it's got a little bit of heaviness, but it's also got a lot of delicacy and subtlety and beauty in it. Um, so I, I just can't recommend it highly enough. Um, you'll, it's for those of who are just listening and can't see the video, this is the album cover that has a triptych on it um, with sort of three mysterious, creepy images and a ray of sunlight kind of hitting a tiny golden title card on it. Um, I love the back of the album too. It's got the five band members rendered as playing cards. And uh, it's actually done really nicely. It kind of makes me think like, you know, who in Greyhawk would be which playing card? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this is an album that's, it's got loads of, you know, old school keyboards. It's a very 
keyboard driven album. This was the first album that uh, the keyboardist Joachim Svalberg played on. And I think he's kind of an underrated, underappreciated member of Opeth that's come about in recent years. Brings all these different keyboard colors in. Um, it's got just more kind of adventurous songwriting that you, than you'll hear on almost any other Opeth album, which is saying something. But it's kind of in a subtle way. You've got like, there's a string driven ballad. There's kind of a, a there's a tribute to the band Goblin that's just called Goblin, um, which is actually just one of my favorite tracks on the album, just this little goofy jam track. They've got this song called River, which I would definitely recommend checking out. It starts out in a major key. Um, one thing this album has that earlier Opeth albums didn't have as much of is um, the lead guitarist, Frederick Aukison, uh, who really brings kind of a big, nasty, Les Paul kind of sound to Opeth. And they definitely didn't really have that going on before. So there's some guitar solos on this album that are starting to kind of get into that slash territory. Um, and that, that gives it a, a really, to have a real virtuosic guitar player um, elevates everything, I think, to a higher level. You can also hear a lot more of Martin Mendez's bass playing on this album. Uh, I think he's a fantastic underrated bass player. And I really like being able to hear him. And a lot of their like heavier records, you can't hear him as well. Mm -hmm. um, so in a lot of ways, this is the current incarnation of Opeth. And I think it's the, the playing wise, probably the best band they've had. And a lot of what you were talking about um, with uh, the Witch Hazel drummer, just these little transitions and stuff. Um, uh, Martin Oxenroth, their drummer is, it's funny because he's a very precise heavy or death metal drummer, but he's able to increasingly able to play in this kind of looser rock style with like really big Tom sound um, locks in with the bass really well. Um, I don't know. I'm, I could just talk about this album for, for hours, so I won't do that, but, but certainly would recommend anyone who's looking to get into Opeth or anyone who's not into the death metal thing or just anyone check out Opeth's pale communion. Um, it's not really a bright, happy album. That's the one thing. It's definitely got this particular kind of aching emotional quality to it all the way through, which um, may not be to everyone who doesn't like sad music. <laughs> but so there's that. But I don't feel sad listening to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll have to check that out because I'll be honest, like the, the, the death metal era of Opeth, which is the one that most people like, doesn't totally do it for me. Mm. Um, I liked, I've always, I always liked their more progressive bits that they, they did rather than the, the deathy stuff. Um, so that sounds like it's something I would like. So I'll have to give it a listen. Um, I think but, you'd like it. I mean, it's, it's definitely exists in the same kind of world as the, as the Spell album. Yeah. Um, and it's got these, these wishbone ash touches. It's got some deep purple touches. Um, but it's all kind of done with this very odd, uniquely Opeth harmonic and melodic structure. Cool. Um, so yeah, absolutely check it out. I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you think. Well, before we move on, just one quick Opeth story. Uh, I've told you before, but I remember um, Opeth was playing when I was still living in Canada. It was this was a long time ago. I can't even remember what year it was, but Opeth was playing at the Commodore, and they had two nights at the Commodore, maybe, or maybe it was two shows. They had two shows in Canada, and then they were going to the states. Well, their drummer couldn't get into Canada. I don't remember why if it was a criminal record thing or a visa thing or both. Um, Canada's a tough country to come to if you have a felony and you're from another country. They basically won't let you in unless you get special permission. And even if you do, uh, a lot of times the border guard will just turn you away anyway because 
depends on what kind of a day the guy's having, really. Um, so, unlike almost no notice, Gene Hoagland stepped in and learned the whole set. And so I got to see Gene play with, uh, with Opeth in Vancouver, and he just knocked it out of the park. It was, it was amazing to see someone be able to – I mean, every, everyone knows how good that fucking guy is, but it's a real testament to just, like, what a good musician is. Never mind, like, a metal drummer. What a good musician is when he can, like, basically – sit down with a set like that, figure it out that fast. And it is not kid stuff. That shit is hard. And he can yeah. figure it out that fast and step in and basically play it for, from, I mean, my years, I'm not an expert in open. This was like, this must have been mid 2000s. Um, so I'm not an expert, but to my ears, it sounded great. And to the hardcore Opeth fans that were there with me, they said he crushed it. Yeah, it was, um, that might've been 2005. Because that's when I first saw Opeth, and um, it was it was it, yeah, it was, and that was on Sounds of the Underground tour, and um, and Strapping Young Lad was playing. No, this wasn't Sounds tour. of the Underground. This was like um, I mean, maybe it was in the states, but no, it was it wasn't Sound of the Underground. I would have remembered that it was um, it was another show. Um, I can't remember exactly. I, it was one of those things where I went just because friends of mine were going. Or... Yeah, it was, it, it must've been around the same time. Um, I don't know which one came first, but, but I think that was the tour where Martin Lopez, um, Opeth's drummer at the time, uh, just- Maybe it was something. Yeah, he had some, I don't know. I can't I don't know. remember. Yeah, yeah Martin Lopez, he had big stage anxiety and I think had some kind of like, um, some kind of psychological breakdown or something like that on tour. Maybe it was that. For whatever reason, I, wasn't able to continue, and and I saw that that tour in Denver, and I didn't know at the time um, that that Martin Lopez wouldn't be playing, and so yeah, Opeth took the stage, and there was the strapping young lad drum kit, and there was Jim yeah, Oglin. and yeah, that's right, and yeah, it was it was maybe spot it was on. that tour. Then I don't I don't really remember the particulars because it was my twenties, my twenties. That time in my twenties is very blurry. <laughs> yeah, right. that evening was very blurry, so I don't remember the particulars, but I do remember that. He couldn't make it, and like it was not a lot of notice. And Gene stepped up and did a he did a whole he did a few shows with them for them. I, yeah. I know that. I mean, he was the guy was, was able to rejoin them. He was absolutely spot on when I saw him. I mean, it was, and and they didn't just play the heavy stuff. They played um, they played a, the track to rid the disease from the Damnation album, which is a you know very quiet prog track. And you can and do all that shit, man. Too, if you yeah. listen to some of the. Uh, he's not on all the Devin Townsend project albums, but he's on one album called Terrier, I think it's called, which is one of mm. the weirder ones. And he, it's like a pretty tooly, like mo proggy, melodic album. And he can do all that stuff. I mean, of course, he's known as like just being like you know he's the atomic clock, right? Like he's a big, he's a he's a monster. But um, you know, he he can he can uh, take it back a step and be mellow as well. Yeah. So, Props to you, Gene. Um, so Absolutely. I guess we're, we're going to move on to our topic of the week. Uh, we're going to pick the topic this week, so I'll let you start, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, kind of what I wanted to talk about is, um, you know, since we're early on in the podcast, let's talk a little bit about what what is metal? Because metal is definitely a, a genre that's associated with, you know, some of the, I guess, some of the, the highest levels of gatekeeping in any genre. Um, the highest level probably the highest level yeah there's just so much like uh so much ink spilled and so much so many arguments about what is metal and what isn't um and i think it's interesting because on this 
you know, on, on this podcast today, at least we've talked entirely about kind of bands that are playing in a more, you know, 1970s style, proto metal style or prog style as the case may be. And it's, and, and it's not Slayer. It's not Metallica. It's not Morbid Angel, obviously. Like it's, it's, it's its own style, but like these are all, all of what we've mentioned so far are kind of part of the metal scene. Um, but it's, it's not necessarily right down the middle of what most people would think of as heavy metal. And I think that's, that's interesting. So I kind of wanted to just discuss with you, since you're someone who's been in the metal scene so long, to kind of get your thoughts on like what, how is it decided what is metal and what isn't? Like how does the group come to that um, conclusion? That's a very, it's a very good question. It's a very interesting topic. And I'm not sure that there is an overall consensus from uh, there are, I think there are ideas from different groups of people on what's metal and what's not. Um, I think metal has something that's grown to be so diverse and there's so many subgenres. And ever since the, um, uh, what's that freaking documentary that the guy from Victoria made in like 2000, in the, in the late 2000s. Um, the, the, the skinny guy. I know yeah god why is the name of that doctor but he did global metal was one and was it then the he did one headbangers journey thing yeah metal headbangers journey that's yeah. it so ever since he did that and he did the whole like family tree of subgenres, everybody has been wanting to put everything in a box everything has to go here this is post-prog this is pre-prog this is avant-garde this is this is this this is that this is like tree metal this is like <laughs> plastic metal this is fucking whatever and it's just gotten so like fragmented and um which is you know for better or for worse i mean i hate labels i just don't really care um so people like oh you know the epic new wave of traditional heavy metal this greyhawk band like we're just a fucking metal band dude we're not like sitting here trying to be some specific thing we just play metal like straight up and it's it's weird that people really seem to want to put lots of labels on things and so that makes it that complicates it even further because you know you go to like club sir down here on a tuesday night and there's like you know a bunch of new metal bands because apparently people still play new metal and apparently a lot of people are still into it because when static x come to town they sell they sell venues <laughs> out in seattle good to, and to me if you say to what's that's not heavy metal to me like that's new that's new metal you know i but i think people start to say things are not metal when they don't like it yeah i mean it's literally <laughs> that simple someone will hit that's the uh, fuck, fuck that that's not metal dude and it's like actually it is you just don't like it like right. is slipknot metal yeah they are so are corn and they're metal it's the kind of metal i don't like but they're still metal um and I don't know, but you're right. Like, and the gatekeeping that goes on and just like, oh God, it drives me crazy, man. Like we all just calm the fuck down and just listen to the bands we like and talk about the bands we like and not worry about um, whether the guy who wears cargo, you know, baggy cargo chimo pants or the guy who wears um, a denim vest with 5,000 patches on it, which one of those guys is metal. Because I don't care. <laughs> you know, I really yeah. don't. I don't give a shit. Um, I, I guess when people try to, like, and, and you know, there's people that will listen to our band and go, 
that's not metal, dude. That's like, whatever. That's just like, that's like, that's hard rock, maybe, you know, because we're. Was that one, that one YouTube commenter called it, what, aluminum vibrator music? Yeah. And then I told him, oh, <laughs> you know, you're, you, pr you probably should get this record for your unsatisfied girlfriend, man. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, yeah, people will say shit like that. And I'm like, bro, I've spent way too many miles and time in smelly vans with smelly dudes driving across the Canadian fucking tundra and driving down, you know, smoggy, shitty highways in California to play shows at tiny clubs to try to spread the, my music around to give a fuck if you think I'm metal. Brother, let me tell you something. I'm out there. I've been, in, I've been out there doing this for 17 years. I got more metal in my pinky fingernail than you have in your entire body. So shut the fuck up and just back up because you're standing on my dick, man. Like straight up. You know, when I, I just, I don't get it. Like why, why people want to say things aren't metal when they clearly are. Heavy, this, is, this, this is what heavy metal is to me. Heavy metal is rock and roll music with the volume and the intensity turned all the way up. It, it doesn't matter if you're playing a super fast song um, or a ballad. It's like a heavy metal ballad is a rock and roll ballad on steroids. You know, it's, it's just amped up. It's everything pushed harder. That, and now that can take various forms. You know, it can be a classic um, ripping Iron Maiden dual harmony. It can be, you know, a badass, like, you know, speed metal riff. It can be gent. It can be like a new metal guy playing in drop C going. It can be all those things. And if you don't gotta like it, but guess what, bro? It's metal. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I mean, I, I guess for a lot of people, it's kind of like, I think there was some like famous, you know, Republican senator or, or something who was like in some hearing was asked to describe pornography and said, well, I know it when I see it. That's Strom Thurmond, <laughs> I think. Maybe it was, yeah. That <laughs> sounds <guessing>. about right. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think a lot of people have that kind of approach. It's like, well, I, you know, I listen to it, and, and if I feel metal, then it's metal. If not, then it's not. It seems yeah. to be what it kind of comes down to. I mean, I, for me, there is like metal kind of, it's, it's something that kind of transforms ordinary experience into something different. Extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, extraordinary. I and get and you. It, it is to me the thing that attracts me to it is it's the only kind of music for me that can really make my brain go to a different realm like it can make it can it's the only music that evokes images evokes um feelings that you know take me out of like I, sometimes i have to like catch myself and snap myself back into reality when i'm listening yep. to a record and i'm really into it and there's not another there's lots of genres i enjoy i love classical music i love blues i like jazz i like rap and hip hop. I like old country. None of those genres do that for me. You know, yeah. I listen to them and I have fun and I like it, but it doesn't like transport my brain into like some crazy fucking transdimensional, you know, um, <laughs> fantasy land where I'm just like, you know, in just living the song I'm listening to. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that's that's how I feel about it too. But yeah, but at the same time, I'm not gonna. If if something doesn't do that for me, it doesn't mean it's not metal. It just no. mean that it doesn't connect with me. But I just I, I wonder about it sometimes because I've I don't know. I guess a lot of people in my specific generation like probably have had a similar experience where I kind of came up through a lot of styles that have become unpopular or or have gotten yeah. a lot of hate. Yeah. Um, so I absolutely like. Oh, yeah. I listened to a lot of new metal because I was, you know, 12, 13. And those were the sounds that were available that were, that you could hear on the radio that were kind of pushing the boundaries and that were doing something different and memorable um, and doing something more intense. And, and now I look back and a lot of that stuff, in my opinion, hasn't aged especially well. No. Um, and we could get into a whole conversation about new metal and maybe eventually it'd be interesting to do that. But, but, um, I and then it, face. I'll admit it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's they're definitely like the like the '90s and 2000s were an interesting time where a lot of stuff was really big for a minute, and then it wasn't. You know, right now, metal is kind of like evened out. I mean, there's there's definitely been like a resurgence of old school new bands doing the old school style, but bands have been doing that a lot. All, all like there's always there's always been bands playing in the classic style. You know, those are the bands that we focus on on this podcast for our reviews. But, um, you know, there definitely was a, back in the 90s and stuff, there was stuff that came and then it went. Like there was like, you know, new metal was a big thing and then it was gone. And then like everything core in the 2000s was a big thing. There was like metal core, math core, ball core, beer core, you know, painting core, roof core, <laughs> everything had a core, you know, and it was then that kind of faded away. Um, but now like the last, you know, 10, 12 years, there hasn't really been too many trends coming and going um but the other thing you said about you know how people you know will shit on a lot of things that you don't expect like expect them to shit on it's 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 bizarre to me especially i'm in my 40s so i caught the tail end of the 80s i was cognizant enough to remember seeing you know remember like seeing metal in the 80s and you know i obviously never went to any shows when i was eight but i mean there were like headbangers in my neighborhood and you know, I was into ACDC and Van Halen and um, Kiss and all that stuff at an early age. Um, and <sighs> listening to like a lot of the younger generation now talk about a band like Slayer um, is weird. Never did I think Slayer would be the band that catches flack from like true metal people. It's crazy. Um, and I get it to a point like if you only got listened to Slayer in the last like 10 12 years they've sucked uh, <laughs> pretty hard for that time they've been making some pretty boring records and they've been going on tour with you know they've been on tour with bands like Lamb of God who again a band that they're a metal band people guess what they are um I don't really listen to Lamb of God but they're a metal band and they've been I'm, same with Trivium and they've been touring with bands like that and you know why they're doing with bands like that? Money. Because that's how you get paid. And if I was Slayer, I'd be doing the same damn thing. Because you, know, you understand that these guys are career musicians. They've been doing this since 1983. Um, and they don't have a retirement plan. There's no pension plan for a metal band. There's no, you know, there's, there's nothing. And it's not like they're going to stop playing metal and then just go be doctors 
for the rest of their lives. They're trying to pocket as much coin as they can. So when they can't do this anymore, which has come, they've retired, they have enough money to take care of themselves for the rest of their lives. So they're not going to go play clubs with bands that are probably maybe more akin to like their style or stuff that would get them more street cred or stuff that would make the jean jacket crowd go, fuck yeah. Um, they're not going to do that. You know why? Because they're people, it's their job and they've got to make money. So that's why they do that is because they got to make money. Now, Slayer at one point, you got to realize that like one point Slayer was the heaviest, fastiest, gnarliest thing in, in, on planet earth. They were the heaviest, fastest heavy metal band um, that, that, that there ever was. And you look at the early albums, like Show No Mercy is incredible. Um, I really I like that one, yeah. Haunting the Chapel is incredible. Hell Awaits is incredible. Um, the big three, Rain, Rain and Blood, South of Heaven, and Seasons in the Abyss are incredible records. They're objectively masterpieces. They're like the cornerstones of thrash metal. All, your, all this death metal that people listen to wouldn't be, any, wouldn't be around if Slayer didn't do what they did. Because... That's the band that like Morbid Angel was taking their influences from. So right. it's just bizarre to me to like hear these people like just shitting on Slayer. And it's not like Slayer sold out. They're still making thrash metal. It's just not very good anymore because they're old men <laughs> and they're wealthy old men. And when you're a wealthy old dude, you know, it's hard to sing. It's hard to be pissed off, you know, and you kind of got to be a little bit pissed off as a guy who used to write, you know, thrash metal, you got to be a little bit pissed off to write a good thrash metal song. You're not going to write a song like, um, you know, at dawn they sleep when you're like having a real good time in your backyard with a, on a sunny day with a nice Mexican lager <laughs> yeah. and a lime in your hand. <laughs> Grilling you know? with your, your kids playing outside. Yeah, exactly. Totally, man. And like, dude, the, these guys paved the way. They paved the way for all of us. So... I had kind of an unfortunate introduction to Slayer because, you know, I think it was for like my 13th birthday and I was, you know, I was just about to get into Opeth. I think I just started to, but I still like most of my library was new metal at that point. And I had a friend who was into classic metal. And this is the guy who initially introduced me to Dio and Manowar, Iced Earth and, and bands like that. It's the reason I've, I had heard about some of those bands even. Um, and he wanted to get me into Slayer so he got me Diabolus and Musica. Um, yeah, because it's I'm like, sorry, dude. <laughs> it's like in the, in the new metal style, but no. it's Slayer. And, but, oh, and I think that was right. well-intentioned, but it didn't work out because I listened no. to it and I was like, ooh, this is not working. No. That is, it would have been better to get me, you know. Tom is not, not a good singer, right? <laughs> He's, his vocals work, but on that album he literally sounds like a deaf guy shouting at the top of his lungs. <laughs> like, it's, just, <laughs> it, it, it's such a weird, weird record. And, you know, I, I hadn't listened to that album, I don't think ever. Because, um, like, you know, I got into Slayer. I saw, I think I saw Slayer before I bought any of their records. And I saw them in Ozfest in, like, 97 or 98 or something. And then and they, they were amazing. And then I went home and, like, bought all the Slayer albums. Um, I started with a live one, uh, Decade of Aggression. It's just like, oh my God, this is amazing. But yeah, I, I listened to Diabolus, like I own it it's on CD. Because <laughs> like, it was the new release when I got into Slayer. And I was like, nope, <laughs> like that's just real bad. Um, so, but in 2017, when I was still in Skeletor, we did a tour um, uh, from here to Tijuana and back. 
and uh, we had a we decided to listen to bad albums in the car. Like we listened to Rust by Megadeth, and we listened to like just all like the all like big bands like bad moments, you know. And Diablos and Musica was one of them, and it was absolute like some like Rust by Meg like Meg the Megadeth one was f- hilarious, like it was funny, but Diabolus was hard to get through. It, was, it is it's hard just, to get through. It's such a grating. There's no melody. I mean, Slayer's not a melodic band, but there's no sense of melody or anything on it. Like I said, it's just a bunch of chugga chugga riffs and Tom Araya like, dun, 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 dun. like the whole time. <laughs> you're just... like, what is going on here? Oh, yeah. I don't know. But it's... anyway, the point is, it's just really weird to hear people like keeping Sly- Slayer for fuck's sakes. It's strange. Strange well, times I think we th- live in. Yeah, I think there's this sense that like, only the underground is legitimate. I mean, that's another kind of gatekeeping. It's like, it's not even so much about the content, but the obscurity itself that determines the legitimacy. Yeah, like, and so I understand Fewer people that. have heard about it. I, I, I do get that to a point, though. I mean, I understand um, the want to, like, part of the appeal of metal to a lot of people is it's not the mainstream. You know, you're kind of like, you got your club. You know, it's, it's like a, almost like an exclusive club, uh, right. which is... I, I mean, and I agree. I li- that's kind of what I, one of the things I like about it too is, you know, it, it, it brings a lot of like-minded folks together. Um, and sometimes I guess there's a feeling when a band gets too big um, that it's not in the club anymore. And there's all these other people outside of the, the club that don't think like us that are into them now, you know? And I, so I kind of get that to a point. Um, I don't really feel that way. Um, I think if a band gets successful and wins over new fans and um, does it without, you know, compromising what made them awesome to begin with and keep putting out good music, I'm happy for them because I'm a musician and I wish I could make my living doing this, but I can't. Um, So I'm always happy for anyone that wins the lottery in that way. Um, If you pull a Metallica, whatever, you know, I don't blame you, but at the same time, like I ain't going to buy your records. Um, yeah. So I think there's definitely a bit of that too, but I, that's that, that part of it. I kind of get, um, again, it's, it's not, it's not for me. I just, I just think that that's something that, uh, people th- feel and I, I, I understand why they feel it. Um, yeah, I, I feel like some of this comes down to the fact that in the last certainly 10 years or so, the, uh, the landscape's really changed in terms of music distribution and the internet has kind of really maybe not broken, but certainly diluted the power of record labels and of kind of the centralized music industry. And I think that some of the, you know, thinking back on, on new metal and, you know, the, the grunge stuff in the nineties, I think that a lot of the sort of pain and resentment that metalheads feel about that time is that, the record labels were kind of trying to make the next big thing happen instead of listening to the fans and what the fans actually wanted to hear. Yeah. And that's like, you know, there's a thing I remember, I think it was, uh, I heard Frank Zappa talk about that once and he's an interesting guy to listen to. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, in the old days in the seventies and the eighties, the early eighties, you know, there are the record labels have always been run by like cigar chomping rich guys, you know, and they've never been in touch with the music scene. So they used to hire these people that were talent scouts and they were like a bunch of hippies. You know, the hippies would bring back this music to the record label guys. They'd listen to it and they'd go, 
I don't understand this at all. That must mean it's going to be good. Put it out. You know, that basically is, is what it was. And they would just kind of like trust these talent scouts to find the next thing because they realized that they needed people who could relate to the youth of the day to, put, to find the bands that were being creative and doing new cool shit. Um, of course, as time goes on, um, every, like everything, eventually a formula gets found out. And, you know, when one band gets successful doing something, everybody tries to copy it. So, you know, when, when, when Motley Crue gets popular in the 80s, um, hair metal blows up because everyone's trying to find the next Motley Crue. Right. Um, and some bands got big, hundreds didn't, you know. Um, and that was kind of the start of that, I think, in, in, in rock music when the hair metal thing came out and like it, was the, it became the biggest thing on planet Earth. And there were just like a thousand shitty cookie cutter bands just like trying to, to do that, do that style. And, you know, the, the, the new metal thing was the same thing. Like there was just like, there were a couple bands that I, I, like I said, I, I can't, when I was like a late teenager, you know, that sound resonated with me. Not I'm in my forties. It just doesn't work. <laughs> I'll listen back to that stuff. And I'm like, ah, come on, man, stop whining. But, um, you know, there was definitely some bands that like Slipknot did it really well. Um, uh, and there was definitely some other bands that did it really, really well, but there was a lot of bands that did it fucking bad and, and going and to see shows in that. Yeah. Going to see shows in that time. Oh my God. Like I wouldn't saw Megadeth. It was, it was funny. It was a crazy show. It was the day after 9-11. It was September 12, 2001. Oh, and they were, Megadeth were stuck in Canada after the show. So, and also Marty Friedman walked out of the show and mm. Marty Friedman was going to be quitting Megadeth, but he was supposed to like do that tour. And Al Petrelli was going to be the replacement guitar player. Um, and Al Petrelli was kind of like the understudy. He was just kind of like hanging out with the band, seeing how things went and like watching how the show goes and whatever. And then at the end of the tour or at some point in the tour, they were going to like, Marty was going to be like, hand the reins over. Well, that show in Vancouver, Marty Friedman, for whatever reason, just went, you know what? Fuck you. I'm leaving. I'm not doing the show. I'm done. So he left and it was Al Petrelli's first show with them. He was like, okay, kid, off you go. And he was great. And it was the best mega that show. I, one of the, that was the best mega that show I ever saw. They were absolutely on fire that night. Um, but the opening band was this band called Endo. And I remember the name because they were one of the worst pieces of shit <laughs> I ever had to sit through. And that's the thing back then. They were just, everyone was signing up anything that sounded remotely new metal, anything that was in drop C, anything that went, you know, anything that did that. Um, they were signing it and they were putting them on tour with bands like Megadeth. And that band got killed up there. Like, they absolutely got killed. The audience had was having none of it. Like, they just got – that audience ate that band alive. Um, those poor bastards. <laughs> but, I mean, they were – but that's what they were doing. They were signing everything that sounded like that and chucking them up there with whatever bigger bands they had. And that was that. Road, Roadrunner Records was notorious for doing that. Right. Yeah. But it's uh, – it is a little bit different now because – at least in the underground, there's more ways to just reach out to the fans directly yes, and to reach out to the press directly. And, and you kind of have more of a marketplace of just records get put out. And then the ones that are most interesting kind of start to gather momentum. Yeah, um, it, it's definitely, I, I, I'm, I'm happy. I didn't, I'm happy with the musical climate today as an independent musician, as a guy who 
doesn't aspire to like make a million dollars doing this. Um, I just want to like, but I have to, you know, I just, I, we're in the same boat. I've talked to you guys about this a hundred times. I just want to make, grab music that I like and that other people will enjoy too. And it'll make a difference in their lives. You know, um, I, I gotta, I, I like the fact that physical product has made a comeback. Vinyl has saved heavy metal's ass because bands can now put out rec vinyl records and make money. Labels, you know, smaller labels are starting up. Labels that actually care. Like, mm -hmm. our record label, Fighter Records. Like, Dave is just the coolest motherfucker. Like, he is one of the coolest people I've met in a long time in this business. Um, I can't recommend Fighter Records enough. They just, like, they treat us so well, and our deal is so fair. Um, Enrico at Cruz del Sur, another awesome guy that just, like, cares so much about the bands that he signs, you know, and it's, it's so weird that like these record labels now just give a shit about their artists and they're, they're putting out records that they love and music that they think is great. And it's weird that it got to this point because I didn't see this coming, you know, in the two thousands when everything was digital, it was dire, man. Like vinyl hadn't made its full resurgence yet. Vinyl didn't really kick into high gear to like 2010 ish. And then everyone was collecting vinyl. Um, so as a band, you'd go there and you'd have, you'd make your record and you'd get your 500 CDs and no one would buy them. Like, see, no one buys CDs, bro. Like, you got a download card? No one would even do the download card thing. They just go find your shit on BitTorrent and <laughs> right, yeah. rip it down and stick it on their MP3 player. It was dire times, man. You couldn't make a buck on the road. You go on tour and you just lose your ass out there. You would totally lose your ass. Now, you know, you can go and you have, People want stuff again. They want shirts. They want patches. They want to sew patches. I mean, I make fun of people's fucking call them vest boys. But you know what, dude? It's rad. It's awesome that people are buying these vests and decorating them out with their favorite bands. It's cool. You know, people want product again. They want to wear patches. They want to wear the shirts. They want hats. They want beanies. They want records and CDs. They want tapes. You know, it, it, it's awesome. And, and I, I certainly did not foresee that coming. Um, I'm happy about it. I'm happy you're playing music in today's um, music industry climate um, than I ever was in, uh, in years past. Part of it is playing in an awesome band with awesome people and making the music that I really want to make. Like, not going to lie, like, being in Greyhawk also helps a lot. But um, just the fact that there are fans out there who want your stuff and are grateful that you have it and are, they are, they, they, fans are starting to gain an appreciation for what goes into making an album. Um, the, the, the focus is not on singles anymore. God. If I never hear some dickhead say to me again, don't even worry about a record, bro. Like just put out like a three song EP. Just put us, just make a single. Shut up. No one wants a single. <laughs> Nobody wants that. I don't want singles. Make an album, make art, you know, don't yeah, make the, well, I don't want a product or a brand. I want art. I want music, dude. Well, you can, even with some of the great records of the past, you know, listening to old school stuff from the 70s and 80s, you will hear tracks on albums that really just don't belong there. And you can tell that the band didn't want to put them on there, yep. that it was kind of an, an artifact of the, the, the record label's intervention. And, mm -hmm. and it's really nice that I think there's, you know, more leeway for albums like, like that Spell album, like Opulent Decay. Like that's not, 
you can tell that's an album that these guys are making exactly the music that they want to make. Yeah. And that's I mean, why it's a real pleasure to listen to so much stuff that's in the underground nowadays. It, it is. And I think this is like, you know, this is starting to come full circle back to our original topic. We kind of got off on a tangent, but it was a cool tangent. So I'm good with it. Um, you know, as far as like what is metal and what's not, I like for me, I mean, I mean, I got, I used to be such a dick. <laughs> I came to like <laughs> some stuff like that's fucking bullshit. I'm, oh, God, you know, I was just like, I've come to a point in my life where I'm just going to allow myself to enjoy things. You know, if I like it, I like it. That's the only criteria. There's no other criteria for music. If I like the sound of it, I like the sound of it. The end. It doesn't have to look a certain way, sound a certain way, be a certain thing, have a certain image. I don't give a shit. If I like it, I like it. I don't care if anybody else thinks of it, thinks that I like it. I catch flack for listening to Airborne all the time. You know, like, I don't know if people know Airborne, but they're like an Australian, everyone mm -hmm. says they're an ACDC ripoff. And I think they're more of a jackal ripoff than an ACDC <laughs> ripoff, but they are. But I don't give a shit. And I also don't give a shit if you don't like the fact that I listen to Airborne, because I'm going to get in my Mustang and crank back in the game real loud and drive by your house and just flip you off because I fucking <laughs> love Airborne. And, you know, it's well, like... Well, that's, that's definitely a part of the, the sort of metal ethos, too, is just, like, what happens when you really, like, listen to what you want to listen to. And I think that's something that's... What's more that, metal than that? Yeah. What, what's but more metal than just listening to whatever you want and not giving a fuck what anybody thinks? That's the most metal thing in the world, dude. Like, if you're, like, worried about what all your friends in the local scene are going to think because you bought a shirt by a certain band and, oh, they're going to snicker at you, that's not metal. <laughs> that's what I'll, I'll say. That's the one thing that's not metal is, like, being – that's being some kind of weird conformist and that's worrying more about your image than, you know, it's worrying more about but your image than you yourself. Do. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just been interesting to observe because, you know, prior to, to being in Greyhawk, I, I wasn't really in any metal scene. And I've been a metalhead for, you know, years and years and years. But when I was a kid getting into this stuff, like, I was kind of, you know, this, this, in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which just doesn't have much of an independent metal scene, certainly. I was kind of like the one-man metal scene in some ways. Like, I, I just, like, found all this stuff that I wanted to listen to myself. And I played in bands, but the people I played in bands with, you know, had their own music they were into. You know, some of them were into metal, some of them weren't. But I was, there wasn't really a scene for that kind of thing. And, and, and it was just kind of funny, like, a lot of this music that I listened to, some of it is, like, cool and some of it isn't now. And that's, it's funny to observe that because I remember, like, when I was 14, 15, I remember, like, doing all this research, trying to figure out how to order the Enciferum out, the first two Enciferum albums. Because mm -hmm. you couldn't find that stuff anywhere. Nope. I didn't know anyone who was listening to that stuff. Nope. I was like, oh, it's like this cool shit that's like Finnish, you know, folklore mixed with metal. And, mm -hmm. and people were like, that's really strange that you listen to that. <laughs> and then like <laughs> somewhere yeah. in, in between like that period. And then like now, where now Enciferum has like, 50 albums that all sound the same and, yeah. and get kind of made fun of for it but i remember like back when it was like this thing that was that was totally i had found it by myself i didn't know if anyone else in the world listened to that shit yeah. and it's funny to kind of like suddenly be like encounter people who are like oh yeah that stuff like oh we're so tired of it dude you know that story resonates with me a lot because i i mean 
the same thing living in the suburbs of Canada in the 90s, um, being into metal. It just, it was hard to find it. There was no, there's no metalarchives.com. There was nowhere to go download shit. There was no like Kazam even or Napster. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I remember going to like a record store and asking for Danzig too. I really wanted Lucifuge. Mm-hmm. And they were like, who's Danzig? I mean, dude, this guy's a rock star. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, that's not, I think they had no idea. None. They had to like special order Danzig albums for me mm-hmm. because they just don't, didn't, like the metal section was like this big. And it was like Metallica and probably Slayer. And like, I think Sabbath and ACDC were in there basically. That was it. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, yeah, there's definitely like when you're growing up, you know, and the thing you got to realize is in the grand scheme of the world's like population, there's really not that many of us metalheads. So I think a lot of people like me and you grew up pretty, feeling pretty isolated in our taste mm-hmm. going, you know, I really, I really in high school, I knew like two or three other people who were kind of into this music. And then like a couple of other, my friends got into it because of me. Um, but it was kind of like, I was the only like actual metalhead that I knew for a long time. And then I think a lot of people because of that feel like their definition of what's cool is the, the definition of what's cool because they never had anyone to tell them different, I guess, or express a different opinion. So then when people get encountered things that are different or that aren't the way they think they should be, it's weird for them, you know? And I, I think that that's part of it for, it wasn't the, the, my experience. As soon as I, if I ever saw anybody wearing like a fucking, like a, even like a Metallica shirt, I'd be like, be my friend, please. Can we right, be friends? Yeah. Can we sit around and like listen to records and like, you want to start a band with me? <laughs> Cause like, I just didn't know anyone like, I, like I said, I only knew two or three people and, you know, especially in the 2000s, man, like metal is in a weird place in the 2000s, yeah. in, the, in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. And there weren't a lot of shows that came. There wasn't much of a local scene for that stuff, for this, the style of metal I liked back then. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I wish the gatekeeping would stop a little bit. I wish guys would stop quizzing women who wear metal shirts on whether or not they actually like the band. It's just the worst, man. They're there just to get a boyfriend or something. Like just how counterproductive is that? Like it's, do you think that the girl's going to like, like if you're flirting with her, do you think that she's going to like go to bed with you after you question whether she actually likes the metal band on her shirt or not? Like she's probably just going to think you're a giant asshole. And you know why she thinks that? Because you are a giant asshole. Yeah, I mean, and it's like, if someone wants to wear a King Diamond shirt, that should be just great, right? Because we love King Diamond. It's like, it's like, not like, why would you, I mean, I don't remember what I was saying, but yeah, why, it's not like, we're not spies, you know, we're not, we're not like, it's not a secret society. We're not, yeah, yeah, we don't need to worry about infiltrators. No, we're not the stone cutters. Right. But it's like, the other thing, like people get so mad when like Rihanna wears a Judas Priest shirt or like some like somebody some famous pop singer. Where I, why are you mad? If anything, like maybe they a maybe she listens to that kind of music. You don't know. You've never hung out with Rihanna. 
because yeah. she'd never hang out with your grubby pimpled ass. But, <laughs> you know, straight up, maybe she likes the music. You don't know. You can never judge a book by its cover. And B, if she doesn't like the band, doesn't listen to the, you know, King Diamond or whoever is on her shirt, um, guess what? King Diamond just got a free advertisement that millions of people are going to see. Yeah, exactly. And so some people might get into Maybe she just likes the logo. And so what? Like, who cares? It's not a big deal. It really is not a big deal. It's cool. It's cool. It actually, whenever I see it, whenever I see some celebrity rocking metal garb, I'm happy about it. Yeah. Because I assume they, I mean, honestly, they probably do know what it is. I mean, just because they're a celebrity doesn't mean they're stupid. Um, it has never been trendy to wear like Exodus shirts. It's never been a fashion statement. It's never been something that's cool. Right. Um, so they probably do know what it is. They probably do listen to it. It was probably a conscious choice. Um, and I don't know, just calm down. <laughs> like, well, it also like the visual component of heavy metal is part of what, what drives it forward and makes it interesting. Like, you know, I, yes. I got into Iron Maiden because one time I went into Hot Topic at the Vialinda Mall in Santa Fe and was like looking at the shirts and there was a Power Slave shirt there and I was like, that looks cool. I'm going to buy that. And I bought it See? and then was like, I guess I ought to listen to this because I know how people are, you know? And then I listened to it and I'm like, oh, this album fucking rules. All right. See people? See? If, 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 if the singer from Greyhawk didn't go into Hot Topic that day and see an Iron Maiden shirt, who knows if we would even have a band right now. Right. So, you know, whatever. People buy, you know, if someone gets into metal because they bought a shirt at Hot Topic, good. Good. That's a good thing. It's more people in a venue. It's more people that buy an album. Guess what? You know, if you want a, a type of music to survive or scene to survive, you need new recruits. Straight up. You just, you need more people that get into your music. And I'm sorry if that disrupts your little club or your little elitist group of whatever but it's the truth if more people don't listen to the records more people don't come to the shows it doesn't survive because you can't play to an empty venue you can I can tell you from experience it's not a lot of fun yep. <laughs> you know yeah i'll um, tell you one thing i've learned from greyhawk is that you know you really can't judge a book from its cover and there's a lot of people out there who really like heavy metal and just maybe aren't in the scene or don't broadcast it visually or just have other priorities. But like when given the opportunity to listen to some heavy metal, a lot of times, like, you know, I've, there's a lot of friends I had, I didn't know liked this kind of thing. And I was like, Oh, I'm in this band. This is my album. And they're like, Oh hell, I love this kind of thing. And I haven't listened to it for years. And, or, or, you know, there's always like those guys at the show, like, I remember that show in Victoria we played where there's that like little short dude in like the business suit, just right up front there in the mosh pit. And, uh, like, yeah. I'll tell you a funny story about when uh, I went to that Germany trip in 2019. Um, when I, those who don't know, I went to, with some, me and some of my friends, um, went to see Manowar in, in Germany. In, uh, we went to see them in Frankfurt. And um, they, because, they, uh, you know, we're all huge Manowar fans. And we're like, if we're going to see Manowar, we should go see them in Europe because that's where they do all their awesome shit. So anyway, um, you know, we were walking around town you know, we were wearing our metal garb the whole time. We're, you know, all black and, you know, having, you know, our metal shirts on wherever we went. And um, 
people would talk to us all the time. Like, like people in like, we walked into like the hotel and Angus had a motorhead shirt on. And uh, the, the, the girl working the desk in the hotel went, hail to the god Lenny, as soon as he walked, <laughs> walked in, right? And we're walking, we, you know, we had like lots of people talk to us on the street about, oh, we're going to see you at the show tomorrow night, you know, and like guys in suits and lawyers and, you know, people just regular ass looking people. And when we were, we went to Berlin a couple of days later and we were staying with um, a friend of, like a friend of, uh, a friend of ours in Berlin. And we were walking around again, fully meddled out, you know, doing our, doing, doing our thing. Like we do every day when we're here, just wearing band shirts and stuff and leather jackets and the whole line. And we're walking around and uh, we noticed that people were looking at us. Not like, like we were weird, but they were like very curiously looking at us. And we asked like the guy we're staying with, like, how come like everyone's kind of staring at us? And he was like, oh, it's cause you, you guys are all like wearing your, like you're all like wearing your leather and your pat your vests and everything. And you're all meddled out. Like everyone thinks you're a band and you must be playing a show because people here don't like wear their metal garb on a date. Like everyone's a metalhead in this country and people, a lot of, most people in general don't wear their like band shirts and stuff unless they're going to a show or they're playing a show. So they're trying to, they're probably scoping you out thinking you guys are probably like some band who's playing in town tonight. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So I guess, you know, I guess we, we play dress up a little bit more over here, I guess. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, Out here in the wild but you really can never judge, a, the point is you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, if you come see a Greyhawk show, um, our lead guitar player, Jesse, is a very unassuming young man. Um, not someone you would think, you would look at, not someone you would meet and look at and the first time go, you know what, that guy's going to be the most mind-blowing lead guitar player I've seen in the last 10 years. <laughs> you know what he is. Like that kid will, watching him solo is almost like an out-of-body experience sometimes. He has, a, he has a gear he hits, a fifth gear that not many lead guitarists can hit. And you would never, ever think that just by meeting this guy on the street. He's just, a, and I'm not saying he's like, you know, not metal looking or whatever, but he's just very unassuming. You know, he doesn't have like, big a big fucking mullet or like you know he doesn't wear like you know metal gear all the time he just he does it and he's a better guitar player than anybody listening to this podcast unless like Mouncy is listening <laughs> and if you are what's up big way i got a donut for you later <laughs> so yeah i don't know man to, to sum it up a little bit i guess um what what makes something metal i guess that's up to the individual. And like I said, I have my definition and it's just anything that's really loud rock and roll. And there's a lot of things that are metal that I don't like, but they're still metal and I'm okay with that. You don't have to, you know, just cause you don't like it don't mean it's not metal. So that's one thing I love to see is like when people come in with their battle vests and more often than not, like a lot of people who have their, their, their battle vest with all the patches, they'll have one or two, like just totally left field things. Mm -hmm. that don't necessarily come from the metal scene, whether it's a classic rock thing or a country thing or, a, you know, some other cultural artifact. Like, it's just, it's always really cool to see, like, what's the other stuff that you're including? What's, what's the, other, the other worlds that you're reaching into? It is fucking cool, man. I mean, I, I'm not a vest guy. I don't own a denim vest. I don't own any patches. Um, but I do think it's pretty rad. And, I, and I, it's, it's fun to see what people do. And people get really creative and they, they come up with some cool uh, designs. And yeah, every once in a while, there's like a 
Britney Spears patch on it or something, you know, right. just like, you know, it's, it's totally different. And I, I, I think it's fun and people have fun with it. And, you know, Hey man, they give us money for our patches. So I'm happy about it. Yeah. It's a good conversation <laughs> starter, you know, it you is. see somebody, I see somebody with like a crimson glory patch or something. I'm like, Oh cool. Hell yeah. Like not everyone has one of those. Let's yeah, talk true. about it. So <laughs> but I don't know. I guess I think, I think in, in our scene, we could, we could do with a little less gatekeeping, you know? Sure. I mean, I, I, metal fans are very passionate, and I like that. So I guess a little bit of it comes with the territory. I have strong opinions on things, you know? Like, obviously, you just listen back to this podcast. Um, but at the same time, I'm also accepting of things that I don't like and I understand. In, in, in the words of uh, Mike Muir from Suicidal Tendencies, just because I don't want, just because I don't know what's going on doesn't mean it ain't no good. <laughs> like just because i don't like it doesn't mean it's not good you know like we like those old death metal opeth albums that you're talking about earlier um they're brilliant i don't necessarily they don't resonate with me i don't necessarily love them but they're fucking brilliant you know and that's just it right i would never sit there and go opeth that's not metal like why would i do that they're they're a brilliant band they're incredibly talented um even a band like tool like i'm not a big tool fan but guess what? They're really good. And it is metal. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's the, that's the thing. Like it, it, it checks all the boxes. There's heavy riffs, there's loud drums. Um, you know, it's just, it makes it like anything. It mixes different styles in it gets, it's proggy. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but it's still, uh, it's still metal. Um, well, the way I see it, we're really lucky to have so much abundance that we have the, the luxury to pick and choose. I guess you know, it's not like one of those situations <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking about like if you were living in like the Soviet Union in the eighties or something, oh, yeah. you had like, you know, you, you had your bootleg tapes and stuff you could trade, but in terms of like local bands, you know, yeah. bands in your country, you had, you know, just a few to choose from. Wasn't that band autograph a Russian band? I don't know. I'm not sure actually. There's, I mean, there's some cool I'm stuff. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not saying there wasn't a scene there at the time. I just know that like, you know, certain political situations certain economic situations you're not going to have the kind of wealth of stuff you have that we well there's not an exchange of like talent and that talent isn't really allowed to go outside of it's not really allowed to hear a lot of things outside of its borders and it's certainly generally usually not allowed to go outside a tour and uh, you know and that's the thing a lot of bands learn a lot by touring you know you go around and you see other bands you see other places you have experiences together and it kind of um, it fuels the fire for your music. So a lot of those bands probably never got the chance to do that, which, you know, is, is pretty limiting both career wise and creativity wise. So uh, that's, a, that's a tough gig. I'm glad I didn't live in Soviet Russia. <laughs> Just, Me too. You know, that would not be a good gig. I don't think, <laughs> but I mean, it's been probably better than John Shaver's new gig of like <laughs> going to jail. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, heck of a gig. Well, yeah, I, I guess there's also a, tendency of, of people really in any scene to kind of start self specializing and and i think that's just a human thing of like all right we're, we're there's a group of us and we're all into metal and like you know one guy's gonna be like oh i'm the black metal guy and somebody's gonna be like well i'm the the rock person who's gonna like take that motorhead attitude and everything should have a backbeat and then someone's gonna be like the death metal expert and mm -hmm. i even saw a comic recently that was talking i was kind of making fun of each of the like the different types of metal fans you know based on their subgenres. and and one of them was the like it showed this guy with like a dumb smile and it was like the 
it's all metal guy who has no taste and i'm like oh <laughs> that's me i guess me. dude like you know i love a lot like i you know you know that i love a lot of like stoner rock and stoner metal and i don't even really smoke weed so like you know it's just there aren't any rules man it's just just people just need to listen to what they like and let other people listen to what they like and you know don't give them don't give don't worry spend your time worrying about other shit worry about the music you like more than the music you don't like i'm really tired of you know and i know but that being said i love a good train wreck <laughs> you know <laughs> when, when someone hears an album and it's just so like abhorrently bad that i need to hear it like i love that shit man like i love like texas hippie coalition and you know, <laughs> you've been over to my house and we've had a few too many and we dive deep dive into like the crappiest hair metal bands of the 80s i love that shit i love laughing at it and there's a lot of stuff that's just objectively crappy i'm not saying like hey hey brother let's just love everything no, like this stuff that sucks but you know it just there's something to be said for spending more time searching for things that you like and more time focusing on your energy on the things that you like versus focusing the negative energy on the things that you don't yeah. and like i don't know if you don't like the new witch hazel album i don't care like that's fine you're entitled to your opinion um i'm entitled to not listen to your opinion like don't like so you can tell me you don't like it and then don't listen to it and then leave it at that but if you're gonna like get try to give me a hard time because i like a christian album or i like that album and you hate it i don't know you should probably get a job like i just I, I guess i'm just getting sick of people like ranting about stuff that they think is not true or stuff that they don't like just dude like Tell me about something you did or something you heard that you thought was cool because that's way more interesting. Yeah, but it's, I think part of it's that it's, you make yourself vulnerable by talking about something that you legitimately like, whereas talking about something that sucks is something people do to prove themselves or to kind of like demonstrate their legitimacy or their fine discretion or whatever it is. But if you, if you, it's like, you know, if I come out and say like, man, I, I just legitimately love the album Once by Nightwish. I do, cool. but there's going to be some people who are going to be like, oh, you know, it's like, like that, really whatever, crazy. like, you know, uh, you, you can't listen to Nightwish and tell me that that's not a hella talented band. Right. I don't, I don't listen to Nightwish. I don't particularly care for that band. I don't, it's not my style. They're good. They're great. They're a fucking great band and a lot of people love them. And there's a legitimate reason why a lot of people love them. And I'm not going to sit around and spend any of my time hating on Nightwish. And I used to. You know, and I was, and I just realized that it is a waste of my fucking time. And my brain, my brain cells are better spent, you know, everywhere. And, you know, the people that just constantly yell about all the things that they fucking hate and all of these albums rather than the things that they like, it's like, it's the same thing. I guess it's, it's, it's overcompensation. It's like driving a Hummer in the fucking city. Like, yeah. you know, you're just, you're just trying to like chop everything else down to like make yourself, you know, look awesome i guess um yeah well it's it definitely it's it, what it is it's, it's trying to prevent yourself from being vulnerable and from being you know you, you don't want to if, if you don't want to put yourself out there and say oh i like this thing and I'm, I'm willing to like you know putting it out there for judgment if you preempt that by having your own judgment that you don't have to show your soft underbelly you know i think that's what it is for a lot of people it is and you know i'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about things that are like legitimately good that 
people are just bitching about because it's not what they particularly like. I'm not talking about, again, there's, there's shitty things like the last, like, like, you know, the Metallic album that he did with Lou Reed. That's funny as hell. <laughs> it deserves everybody's wrath. I am wrath. the table. Yeah, exactly. I am the table. It deserves everybody's wrath. You know, St. Anger deserves everybody's wrath. Texas Hippie Coalition deserves everybody's wrath. All these, I mean, there's a lot of stupid shit. Like, well, there's also something to be said as like a, you know, hating on something as a bonding activity is, I mean, that is something you can get a lot of joy from. Yeah, and, and and those, those albums, I don't even, I don't, those albums like that, like, I don't even really hate them. I just think they're funny, you know? It's, it's more of like, not like, oh, that's poser bullshit, like I flipped that shit. It's more like, <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's just, it's like, Lulu is hilarious. It's, that album is fucking funny. And Texas Hippie Coalition, if you can't watch that live video where he's like taking his shirt off and his guts hanging out with a gut fan, and that bass player has like the fucking hair thing twirling around like this the whole time, and he's all meffed out of his mind, if you can't have a good time and laugh at that, like you might be a little bit dead inside. So, you know, hey, like there's train wrecks, and that's that's fun, dude. And let's just all get back to hating on like Nickelback and Linkin Park. Like, yeah, everyone just needs to like get on the same page and realize that like. You know, it's like all the, I'm a big craft beer guy and all the craft breweries, like they all do things differently. They all have different philosophies, but they all have the same team. They don't compete with each other. They realize that they're all on the same team. And the enemy is AB and Bev. The enemy's big beer. The enemy is Molson Coors, like Coors, Miller. That's the enemy because that stuff sucks for one, it's shitty beer. And for two, that's who you're trying, you're, you're trying to promote your type of product so for metal bands we are not each other's enemy the enemy is like big corporate music yeah that's the enemy and that's what we gotta stop getting getting we gotta convince people to stop listening to like corporate rock music and listening to the shit that's real you know because there's a lot of good bands coming out putting out great music and um it's not being heard because they're of the corporate machine and, you know, that's the actual enemy. That's the stuff that actually sucks. That's the stuff that's poser bullshit. That's the stuff you should point your anger at. And, you know, that's the stuff you should be fucking giving the bird to. Not, you know, whatever album came out last month because it doesn't quite suit your taste. Like, right, or whatever album came out 15 years ago. and Get back on the same team know. and, like, let's just fucking have a party, man. Whatever. Well, and, and something to keep in mind, too, I think, is that laughter is not always a bad thing. I mean, there's a lot of no. music I really liked that my first inclination was to laugh at it. Sometimes because it was funny, but sometimes just because it was kind of delightful. Like, <laughs> first, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The first time I, I you, you know me, my favorite singer is Ronnie James Dio. Yeah. Um, my favorite album is Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath. The first time I saw Dio, I was in hysterical fits of laughter at this tiny little guy dancing around on stage, yeah. like doing all kinds of finger gestures. Like, it was I was 16 years old or something. And it was one of the funniest things I'd ever fucking seen in my life. Then I was like, you know, I think that song was really good. I should go back and listen to it and pay attention and stop laughing at his dances. Yeah. You know? And then I discovered like the best music that I've ever heard in my life and still and probably ever will hurt. So you're right about that. Yeah, I remember one of my friends uh, came to a Greyhawk show and, and it was the first one she'd seen. And so it, she was just standing there laughing oh, we, the we, whole time. I, I see, and I like, see it. I see it in the crowd when we play. I do see people like in hysterics, but I know they're not laughing at, at us. They're just 
because we ham it up on stage. Like a lot of people, oh, yeah. most people, a lot of people listening to this podcast probably have never seen it, but we do, as Judas Priest says, we do the shapes, you know, Rev has stage props. We do, we put on a show, we ham it up and we're really shameless about that. Um, it's just, yeah. it's funny. Cause I remember my friend was, she was standing there like just kind of losing it. And she was like, yeah, a couple of people were like glaring at me. Like, how dare you laugh at this band? They're really good. But yeah, I kind of was thinking like, why would you, why would you be like, oh yeah, this guy prancing around on stage with a wizard staff needs to be taken so seriously. That seems like an odd reaction to have to Greg. I get, I, well, you know, I mean, I guess it's I mean, probably I, like, they, they, people who like our band and they're maybe it was friends of ours who yeah. were, you know, in the end, it's not even just like, why would you take this? So they're just probably defending us, if nothing else. And I get that. But like, I have seen people come to the show and like be like cracking up because some of the shit we do is fucking it's over the top and yeah. you, I think you can't help but laugh. Well, I think laughter is a response that it's like when your, it's when your brain, when your brain and your, joy. yeah. Like when your brain and your body don't really know what to do with something, sometimes you just kind of laugh out of like not knowing what else to do. And, and that sometimes it's just like, you're kind of overwhelmed by what's going on. So you laugh. And I, and I think that's, that's one of the things that is great about heavy metal is it's overwhelming in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, it, I think that's, that's absolutely true. And, Probably a good point for us to, you know, call it a day here for episode two. I think we. I think so. We might be running a little long. Bit. Um, and I, I got to get up, and go to work tomorrow. So. Me too. <laughs> um, uh, I guess we'll wrap it up. But I guess, um, you know, um, in the end, um, what's metal is probably to what, what is metal is probably something that's quite personal. Um, but my my only thing I want to put out there is that you know, everyone just needs to calm down a little bit. As in the words of a famous Canadian show, just take about 15 to 20% off there, but, <laughs> you know, just chill out a little bit, have fun, focus on the things you like, let other people have fun with the things that they like too, and just calm down. We're, we're all, we're, everything we're doing, we're all just playing and listening to music we love, and if you don't get it, you don't like it, it's okay. Well, something that's been cool about, uh, you know, 2020 and, and, and how the COVID crisis has impacted everybody. I think it's made it pretty clear that all musicians are on the same team. Mm-hmm. You know, we all just want to get out there and like enjoy music together. And we've got people have different ways of doing that, but like we're on the same page about it. And it's been, in a way, it's been kind of nice to have that emphasized that like when it really comes down to it, music in general is, is uh, something that's necessary for humans and no matter what type that is it's something we should all keep in mind so well said man well said by man well, on that note a good note to end it so yeah that's everybody it. go home and listen to slayers diabolus and musica <laughs> <laughs> if there's one takeaway from this yeah, podcast just, go, go listen to diabolus <laughs> and, and get ready to get ready to laugh cringe and i would suggest having several um stiff alcoholic beverages beforehand <laughs> If you don't have them beforehand, you'll probably need them after. So that's it for episode two of Keepers of the Flame, a classic metal podcast. I really really enjoyed this week's episode. I hope everybody listening does too. And uh, we will be back next week um, with another album review and just more general discussion. So thanks for listening and we'll see you later. See you next week.